0: So, get out of your head into your heart and let's dive right in, shall we? Okay, so we just finished our three part series on co founder relationships. Did you enjoy it? What did you learn about your relationships? For me, I loved learning all the different relationship styles that people have, and it was also fun for me to just kind of mix things up a bit and do an interview style for a couple episodes. Now, I know that there are so many advantages to having a co-founder in your business. It's that one person that you have that you can always lean into. But as you heard in the last couple of episodes, having a healthy co-founder relationship, well, it takes a lot of work. Bottom line, all relationships are a lot of work, aren't they? So in this episode, I wanted to introduce you to a tool that will help you to build and maintain strong relationships in any area of your life. You can use this with a co-founder. You can use it with someone else that you work with with your clients, or it also can be used in any personal relationship with a friend, with a partner, or any other family member. And this tool will not only help you to build a powerful foundation in your relationship, but it's also something that you can keep using with your relationship as it evolves or if there's any conflict. So here's a look at what you're gonna learn today. In our first segment, I'm gonna explain exactly what this magical tool is. In our second segment, I'm gonna explain how you can use it. In our third segment, I'll explain how it will help you with conflict. And in the last segment, I'll explain some other business benefits of using this tool. But first, I wanna start with a story. So I recently stumbled upon something really, really cool. And I want to tell you all about it because it's something that I've referenced, oh, about 10 times over the last week. So I really thought I wanted to share it with you just in case there are some gems of wisdom here that can help you out right now. So I stumbled on a brand new podcast and it came to me just at the right time, giving me the exact wisdom and guidance that I needed to hear to make a big decision in my business. So the podcast is called Masters of Scale, and it's by Reid Hoffman. Now, Reid Hoffman is a Silicon Valley investor and an entrepreneur. He's most famous as a co-founder of LinkedIn, and he's created this podcast specifically to talk to famous founders and how they scaled their business. Now, the particular episode that I found really beneficial was the second episode where he talks to Brian Chesky, the co-founder of Airbnb. Now, my absolute favorite Reed Hoffman quote in this episode is this. Listen carefully. If you want your company to truly scale, you first have to do things that don't scale. It's so simple and so brilliant. I'm going to say it one more time. If you want your company to truly scale, you first have to do things that don't scale. And there are so many different gems in this episode. It's really worth having a listen to if you can spare the 30 minutes, especially because they give a lot of wisdom about handcrafting, doing something customized in the early years of your business with your first users that will create a real real special and memorable experience. So get your hands dirty, serve your customers one by one and don't stop until you know exactly what it is that they want. Now, the reason that handcrafting works so well at the start of your business, well, it's because you're building a strong brand that is unique and memorable. You're also building community because you are interacting or engaging with your users. And most importantly, you're building a relationship and creating raving fans. Now, Brian shares a lot of wisdom about his journey to build Airbnb. And I love hearing about how he took the time to really create the perfect experience for his users. And near the end of the episode... He shares a really brilliant piece of advice for entrepreneurs who are just starting out. Here's what he says. I tell entrepreneurs who don't have traction, I miss those times. I mean, yeah, it's exciting to have traction, but the biggest leaps that you will ever make is when you're small. The most significant changes to your product will happen when you're small. And if you have a small startup, now is the time that you can take the biggest risk and create a handcrafted experience. Such amazing and wise words that he shared. Now, there's two main reasons why I love this episode and why I've listened to it, I think, about three times over the last week. First, because it's really amazing advice of how to focus on and serve your customers and really exceed their expectations. When you first start out, don't just find customers, but create raving fans. Fans who will really connect to your brand. And in the end, they'll end up doing your marketing for you. Now, the second reason that I love this episode is... You know, it's just such a great reminder to appreciate where you are on your journey. You know, so often I see clients or other people just clawing to grow and to get to that next dream destination, somewhere different than where they are today, expecting that this new destination is going to make them happy. So if you're feeling sad or maybe a little bit underwhelmed at the progress that you're making in your business, Remember that being small is an advantage because you can learn a lot from your clients right now because you can still interview them one-on-one and really get to know them. And remember that you're in that magical place just starting out and you'll never be able to be here again with this business. So be here. Enjoy being here. Because if you keep holding on to your vision, you keep doing the hard work and you spend as much time as possible outside of your comfort zone, then you will grow and scale your business and you will get to that magical place that you want to be. But as Brian points out in this episode, you can never go back to this simple place of starting out with your business. And I also want to remind you that business growth won't automatically grant you happiness so if you are desperate to be somewhere other than where you are today remember that your challenges will always up level relative to your ability to handle them and that you'll never be granted happiness once you arrive at this destination right so if you're not happy today being here then getting to there isn't going to bring you happiness. It's just going to give you greater challenges. So learn how to be happy here so that you can be ecstatic when you arrive there. So the tool that I want to introduce you to today is called a designed alliance. And it is quite simply the rules of engagement for how you want to interact with someone or group of people, or how you want to be in relationship with them. It lists what is acceptable and what is not acceptable. Now, the easiest way to understand a designed alliance is to think about having a job. When you first start a job, you typically get job description right and it outlines what your responsibilities are what kind of work you need to get done and this gives you peace of mind because you know what is expected of you you don't have to guess and you know that if you tick off everything on your list your boss will be happy and all will be well but when we focus just on the work that gets done not on the relationship that exists, we miss out on a big part of knowing what is expected of us. For example, what about the specifics of how you're going to work together? How you're gonna communicate? This is really important. Are you gonna have bi-weekly check-ins? If something comes up in between those check-ins, what's the best way to communicate with each other? Is it gonna be email, text, or just walking into their office? If a problem comes up, does your manager expect you to tell them about it right away or would they prefer you to try to fix it yourself and then come back to them later on with a solution? Now, there's so many different questions like this about your relationship that you need to get clarity on. Now, do you find out right away or do you figure it out by making a mistake and doing things wrong a whole bunch of times just to annoy them and then figure out how they like to have things done? Well, this doesn't make sense, does it? If you don't discuss these expectations when you first start your new job, it's kind of like being blindfolded, spun around a bunch of times, and then trying to avoid stepping into all the landmines that aren't even visible to you. Now, the longer that you work with a person, the better you will get to know who they are and how they like to work. And after a few years working together, you'll likely know all the answers to all those questions that I just listed. But you only figure this out through trial and error, often by making a lot of mistakes, right? By stepping into a bunch of landmines. And this is why in the very beginning of a new job, it's so exhausting. It's not just about learning how to do a new job. It takes just as much energy and effort to build all the new relationships. So a designed alliance is a social contract that you create with another person or with a group of people that outlines how you are going to work together so your job description or your work contract might outline what you need to do but your designed Alliance lists how you're going to work together it's kind of like the rules of engagement for how you're going to interact with someone it lists what is acceptable what is unacceptable and most importantly everyone is involved in creating it together rather than it just being a one-way conversation. And this is perhaps the most important aspect of it because traditional workplaces really thrive on hierarchy and reporting structure, which tells us that whoever is higher up on the food chain gets to call all the shots. And this kind of thinking, well, it doesn't serve us anymore, does it? As a manager, Designed Alliance isn't just about sharing a giant list of things that you do and don't want. You're making requests of the other person and asking them what they want from you to be able to do their best work. Now, I prefer the term Designed Alliance because that's what I was taught when I went to coaching school. And so that's the term that I always use. But you can really use any term that you prefer. Use something that feels right to you. A lot of other common terms are a partnership agreement, rules of engagement, a code of conduct, or a collective agreement. It really doesn't matter what you call it so long as you create one. You use it consistently and that everyone follows it and takes it seriously. Bottom line, a designed alliance is a great relationship builder. It shows that you care. It tells people who you are and it lays the framework for how you will work together. In this segment, I'm going to explain how to create a Designed Alliance because it involves a few different steps. First off, we always want to start by giving the other person some context and also asking permission. Explain what you want to create and find out when it is a good time to have this conversation. Make sure that you explain exactly what a Designed Alliance is, how it works, and then take the time to outline things that you do and that you don't want in your Designed Alliance. And as you do this, make sure that all the things that you are listing are agreeable to the other person. Then, make sure to take time to ask them what they want to add in. What is their optimal working environment? What can help them do their best work? What is it that they do want? What is it that they don't want? and this is a great time to really have an open dialogue. Don't just go through and agree with everything that the other person has listed. If something feels off or if you think something is gonna be really difficult for you to do, then this is your chance to really have a discussion about what is right, what is wrong, and what could be the best way to compromise So let's use Monday morning meetings as an example. Let's say that your boss likes to have Monday morning meetings at 8.30 before the official business day starts. But you have to drop off your kids at daycare. And the earliest that you can actually be in the office is 9.15. Well, this is going to pose a problem, isn't it? And one of you isn't going to be happy on a regular basis. And this will probably pose a problem every week, won't it? Now, this is a perfect example where you can anticipate scenarios where there might be conflict, where there might be resentment, and you can take some time to discuss how you can handle it together. Next, all parties have to agree to everything that's listed in the designed alliance. And together, you can discuss how you want to handle it if either of you break this agreement that you just made to each other. And this is basically creating a blueprint for how you're going to handle when anything goes wrong. So this might seem like a really small thing, but it's a really big deal. Basically, what you're saying is, if you disappoint me, or if you go back on your word, what is the best way that I should handle it? How can I bring it up with you? because in so many scenarios the mistake that people make is that they get disappointed by something and instead of mentioning it right there in the moment they save it all up and they wait for an appropriate time to discuss it but this is never ideal if the scenario permits always do your best to discuss what is bothering you in the moment or as close to possible in that moment instead of carrying around that perceived violation with you taking things personally is never beneficial I know that for me I always like to bring something up in the moment but I also know over the years that I've heard from many of my clients that sometimes it's really difficult for them to mention something in the moment they really require some processing time to reflect on something. To gather up all their thoughts and then discuss it later on or maybe the next day so this is why it's always good to really ask permission to the other person and say this is what I want to discuss is this a good time for you remember this isn't about you making the rules you're all going to be creating something together and you're going to talk about what it is that you want and also you're going to discuss how to handle specific scenarios and surprises so up until now we used designed alliance in a proactive way to discuss how we want to work with someone and to understand each other's expectations but how do you use it as a tool to help each other out when there's conflict So let's use co founders as an example because we just finished up our three part series. So let's say you and your co founder, as part of your designed alliance, agreed that you would consult with each other on any expenditures over five grand. And then you found out that your partner made a purchase of six grand without consulting you. So the great thing with having an established designed alliance is that this gives you an access point to bring up a problem to discuss it. And this will be relevant for some of you because I know a lot of you really struggle having conflict or having awkward conversations. So you can simply just reference your designed alliance and say, hey, I wanna check in on this. Remember we both agreed to you know, discuss large purchases and I noticed that you made this purchase without consulting me. So what this does is it gives you a blueprint or a framework to discuss this easily and effortlessly. Now you can also use it as an opportunity to talk about how you will handle conflict if it happens. So you can ask the other person how they want to handle disagreements or conflict and what is the best way to interact with them when they're in the middle of conflict. So this prepares you to better handle any new situations that might come up. So one of the things I always ask my clients as part of our Design Alliance is, what is their edge behavior? Meaning, if I ask them a question or we start to discuss something that they don't really like and they don't really wanna discuss, how are they going to respond? Are they going to shut me down? Are they gonna push back and get defensive? Are they going to change the subject and try to avoid it? When I know this, this better prepares me to know what to look for and to be able to observe whenever they're in an uncomfortable situation. This is part of what you need to learn in your designed Alliance. Now is a designed Alliance permanent? Meaning once you create it and you both agree to it, does that bind you forever? absolutely not just like your relationship is constantly evolving so too does your designed Alliance it also needs to evolve and change so we call this redesigning the Alliance it's something that you can add to on an ongoing basis as your relationship evolves you can adapt it as needed or you can also set a specific time frame of when you're gonna check in on it again In the example we used earlier, when you're an employee that has just started a new job, well, you might wanna schedule a check-in at one month or at the three-month point to see how everything is going and then change and tweak things as needed. So I've explained how a designed alliance can help you communicate in your relationship but there are other strategic advantages of using this tool. So I'm going to explain three of these other advantages right now. First, ensuring customer satisfaction. Second, building strong relationships with clients and third, getting buy-in from a group of people. So let's start by talking about customer satisfaction. Let's say that you're working with a client and you have an eight month engagement. Now, You don't want to find out at the end of the eight months that they weren't happy, right? A scenario that I used to observe a lot working in corporate was when clients were actually really, really happy with a project or with an engagement, and then right near the end of the engagement, something really tiny would happen that annoyed them, or maybe they'd get sticker shock when they saw the final invoice, and then they'd claim that they weren't happy with the entire project. Think about it. Wouldn't you rather find out after a month so you could go in and try to fix it rather than waiting to the very end to see if they were happy? So have regular check-in points along the way. Prevent people from trying to rewrite history and forget that they were happy the whole way along. Now, the second business benefit is that it builds really strong relationships with clients. When you start working with someone new, you know, everyone always pays lip service and says that they care about their customers, but it's very rare that people actually take action on this. It's usually just lip service, right? So if you actually do take time to check in with your clients regularly, it speaks volumes to them. It shows that you care. I'm so passionate about customer service. I always want my clients to have the best experience with me. So I have a couple touch points built right into all of my coaching engagements. So checking in with clients also helps you learn about what it is that you have in common. And this is one of the most powerful ways that you can build strong relationships. As you're doing your design alliance, you might notice similarities like you both like to have meetings on Wednesdays or you both like to have things done um, in advance of a deadline. So you're gonna notice a lot of those synergies that you have in common. Now, the third benefit that I wanna discuss of using a designed alliance is that it will help you get buy-in from a group. And this specifically applies to working with a team or in a working group or maybe even during a meeting. Whenever I'm doing a team training or facilitation, I always create a designed alliance at the start of our work. It helps to give people of an idea of what to expect. It always helps to diffuse ego as well. Just because I might be brought in as an expert or as a facilitator, I never want people to think that I think I have all the answers or that only my opinion matters. I want people to question things if they don't understand them. I want people to share different perspectives or if they have a real-time suggestion of how to change or improve something, I want them to share it, and then together, we'll decide whether it's something that we should implement or not. Now, when you use a designed alliance with a group, it gives everyone a voice. You're going to make requests of others, and others are gonna have a chance to make requests of you. Okay, so let's recap those three business benefits of creating a designed alliance. First, it ensures customer satisfaction. Second, it builds really strong relationships. And lastly, it helps you to get buy-in from a group and create intimacy and trust. And it's time to start wrapping up this episode on Designing an Alliance. Thanks for hanging out with me today. Remember that being an entrepreneur is the most intense form of personal development that you will ever go through. So be patient and be kind to yourself. Deep down inside, you know how powerful you are. Now it's time to step up and let the rest of us see it.